Caleb, thanks, man. Paxton, Andrew, team, thank you guys so much. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Hey, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John in the latter part of the New Testament. That is where we're going to be today and over the next few weeks uh, as we walk into a new season, uh, a season of renewal. Uh, and by that, I mean uh, transformation, uh, the reality that, that we're here together in a brand new season. It's the fall Uh, And if you're from anywhere but here, you think, well, no, this is not the fall because I walked outside this morning and we would tell you, welcome to Birmingham, welcome to Chelsea, welcome to Alabama. This is what fall feels like here. Um, We we walked into the fall and we're really, really excited about all the things that are happening. It's promotion Sunday today. So those of you with little ones have ones that are uh, are moving out of preschool and into kids and out of kids and into students. Uh, Really, really exciting day uh, to watch our kids go back to school last week for a number of us and move up in grades. Really cool to see all the pictures. And, And ultimately, I saw so many of these pictures this picture of, uh, of a kid holding a sign uh, like, hey, going into fourth grade, right? And then that picture of that child the year before. That comparison, that difference, and how much marked growth is there. Just It takes one second for you to realize that time just flies, doesn't it? Just in an instant, you see these little people grow up and transform. So we're walking into a, a season of renewal here at Double It where we want to grow. We want to transform. Uh, we want to be made more into the likeness of Christ. Second Corinthians would say, Paul would phrase it in this way. He'd say, outwardly, we're, 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 we're being changed day by day, right? We're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed. We're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, what is that transformation, that season of renewal, what does that look like here at Double Oak Community Church, particularly on our Chelsea campus in this context? Uh, well, here's where it starts. Uh, this is going to be a mantra for us in this season. Uh, this is the message of, I truly believe, not only First John, but ultimately the scriptures as a whole. That the gospel that is given to us is love. Now, there are a billion things in this world today through every encounter and relationship that we have with people, each of us with our own kind of unique makeup and thoughts and ideas and experiences and stuff that we've walked through. And we, I think all of us are looking at a world that, and a group of people that we see in our workplace uh, in in the, the clubs, the societies, the things that we're around, whether it's ball teams or something through work, even our family, look, people that long for and desire to be loved. What is love? Like the world would tell us it's all kinds of different things. The world would tell us that love is love, and we get to decide what love is, and we choose what love is, and whatever feels good is love, and all these different types of things. But as we walk through the book of 1 John and ultimately look through and mine a number of scriptures across the Old and New Testaments in this coming season, this is going to be the reality that we're invited to behold. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. That's where love is found. That's where life is found. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what love is. So we're going to look today, uh, beginning in 1 John chapter 1, uh, and look at all 10 of these verses. So you can see the context and look and see what the apostle is writing about. Before we jump in, I want to just kind of walk through some of the major themes that we're going to encounter and some of the things that we're going to see that help us recognize that the gospel is what's in focus here and that, that love is at the core. 
that the gospel is what's in focus and that love is at the core. If you've read the book of 1 John before, you know that some major themes emerge. One is the reality of the gospel itself, the implications of what Christ's life, death, and resurrection means for not only you and I in a personal way, but for us in a corporate way as a local body, and then ultimately the entire world. We're going to see scriptures that refer to salvation and assurance of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, what it means to know that we're forgiven, how we know we're forgiven, what it means to truly be in Christ, and how that plays out in our fellowship with one another, how we're connected to one another in Christ, and then ultimately how we live in Christian community out of that. And how we live as, as a demonstration of the gospel to the entire world around us and our little world, whatever that little world looks like for you, how living and believing and being a part of the gospel causes you to live it out among others. We'll see that the gospel and that God himself is love. Um, the historical tradition uh, and authorship would attribute this book uh, to the apostle John. Uh, you're going to see as we read these first 10 verses, echoes of particularly John chapter 1 and then also Old Testament writings to which John referred with these things about light and life. Th these themes will emerge. Here's the, the most unique thing. We're gonna, when we read this in a second, you're going to see that most New Testament epistles, most letters that we find, they're written to a particular people. They're written to fellow saints. Or it's written to Timothy. It's, there's, there's a direct audience. You'll note that as, as we begin to read these verses, if you look at the Bible before you now, go ahead and look down, you'll see that there is no, there is no address. What we have here is a circular letter. This is something that was meant to be given to a number of churches, particularly a number of churches in the area in which John the Apostle served. We know that historically he served uh, as, an, as an elder, as a, as a pastor, he had a pastoral presence among a number of churches likely in and around Ephesus. So this is to be distributed, to be sent to not only churches in those areas, but also people throughout the world. This is given to, to directly to no one in order that it could be given to everyone. And look at the life and the love that we find here in these verses. This is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and here's what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, incredible things happening here in, in, just, in, in these 10 verses. Uh, and, and today we're going to really pare it down and see three key things that emerge. Three very distinct things that emerge. One is this, that, that John is writing to saints in his world, in his day, and God, by his sovereign wisdom and providence, has given this word to us that we would, one, believe in the gospel. That you and I would believe in the gospel. Here's the second thing. He talks about fellowship. Fellowship with the Father, with the Son, this desire for fellowship with those to whom he writes. That the joy could be complete, that fellowship would happen. We're not only called to believe in the gospel, when we believe in the gospel, there's this thing that happens. We're drawn into Christian community, and now we live in the gospel. We live in this reality that has been created by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So belief in the gospel, life in the gospel, and the last thing, this, this picture of being those who walk in the light people whose conduct, whose behavior, whose very life, the way that they demonstrate that which is inside them is a distinct part of the Christian life and who we are. So these three things, right from the top, this is what we're looking at today. Belief in the gospel, life in the gospel, and living out that gospel through our life and through our character. Um, look into verse 1. That which was from the beginning um, that is a very, very distinct and a very clear echo to the very first line of John's gospel. Same writer, but the gospel in which he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right from the start of this letter, this letter that's to go to Christians and folks all over Ephesus and the surrounding area, is this. This gospel is about God from the beginning. This is what God has been doing all along. So, so in the past few weeks here together, in our context, we've walked through Ezra and Nehemiah, and we've seen a history that is vastly different in many ways than that world in which we live. And it's also not even just different and characterized by different things, but it happened ages and ages ago, right? And yet we saw in the midst of that the promise that God has for his people, to love them, to redeem them, to draw them unto himself, to be a God who faithfully pursues covenant with them, and it finds its culmination here in Jesus Christ. This is something new that is happening, and yet it's not new at all. This is him who has been from the beginning. And then look at this next phrase. It says this, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, this is really, really, really important for us to see. Two very distinct things about it. One, what John is saying and he's describing is not an idea. Again, 
I think we live in a world that would tell you like that, that Christianity is a, is, a, is a religion among other religions. It is a philosophy. It is this strain of thought. Maybe it's this, this way that we would seek to modify behavior or become good people. What this text presents is the reality that, that this is life. These are events that happened. That this is real. This is not just an idea. Faith is, is, is not just an idea or a philosophy or some concept. Because look at the words that John uses here. He says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. These are sensory things. This demonstrates to us the deep reality of the gospel. This is real. And look at that progression of how those things happen. First is heard. Right? So, so audibly, so there's a recognition, hearing of this gospel. Then there's the seeing, which we have seen. So it's, first it's heard and then it's seen, but you can almost picture and see that the way he's writing that, that, that might even be at a distance, right? Because there's seen and then there's looked upon. Have you all ever done this thing where it's like, it's, uh, like a holiday Maybe like it's Thanksgiving or Christmas and you had your grandmother and she would do this thing and she would pull you close and like just grab your cheeks and it was the worst. But she's like, let me get a good look at you. You ever had that moment like that, that pulled in close and grabbed, like it, seeing was not enough for her. She had to look at you. She had to like really, really look at you. That's what John, that might sound silly, but that's what he's describing in this moment. It's not that just he was seen. He was very clearly looked upon. Jesus himself, God himself in the flesh, was looked upon. And then, look at this. What does it say next? Have touched with our hands. They knew him. Deeply, intimately. There was Handshakes and hugs, physical embrace. There was contact, direct contact in knowing and experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ. What John is doing is he's stating the reality of the gospel. That this is not an idea. That this is not something just kind of posited to the world to say, hey, you know, here's a, here's a nice way to live. No, he's saying that Jesus Christ is God himself, and he's heard him, and he's seen him along with others, and then he's looked upon him closely, and that he's touched him. He knows Jesus to be real, and he has to share this. He has to proclaim this with others. This is what he says, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Uh, I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is writing in a very similar way to the church at Corinth, and he's describing the gospel in the same way that John is here. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that good news of Jesus Christ, that proclamation of him coming, I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So this is, this is what Paul articulates as the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and that's Peter. Then to the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Because this is the gospel, the same gospel that John is proclaiming. That Jesus was actually, visibly, physically seen. And this is what was seen. And this is what was heard. And this is what was touched in a very palpable way. That Jesus Christ was born of the virgin. Born under the law. The fullness of time he came. To live in obedience to the Lord. To die for our sins, to be raised on the third day, and to be resurrected. He appeared. We saw this. He appeared to the twelve. Those twelve, John is included in that group of whom Paul is writing. When he states that gospel, this is the one that has eyewitness to this moment. And so when he says, made manifest, something incredible is happening in that word here. It means to make visible, to make plain, to put in open view. When we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, we saw a people that are longing to see God in a very plain, in a very real way. And they're struggling and they're grappling to trust in him. And they want to see the fullness of God come. And he's come in Jesus Christ. He's been made visible. This is what Paul would write about in Colossians, say he's the image of the invisible God. This is God himself in the flesh and the second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. He's in open view. So this, this also, this, this manifestation, this echoes what John would write in his gospel in chapter 1 that would say this, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, all of this stuff might sound really silly to you. You might say, Hey, Michael, I don't know if you'd noticed, but we all signed up to sit in this room today because we believe this. We believe this. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to tell you that I'm seeking to do this with you. The crux of our life, of everything that we are, hinges on this. Do we truly believe this gospel? That this is not just a tradition that has been passed down onto us, that we don't come together and sing songs and, and hear somebody preach in a, in a room weekly because we're good folks. No, it's because we believe that Christ was made manifest to men. And we trust their testimony. We've experienced him. We've seen him. And in spiritual ways... You and I have heard and seen and looked upon Christ and, and, and felt him through how he's transformed our lives spiritually. We are called to believe the gospel. That might sound so reductionist. It might sound so simple. It's everything. The gospel is everything. We are called to believe the gospel. When we do that... There's this incredible thing that happens. Look down into verse 3 as John writes, and he says this, That which we have seen, this is Jesus himself, and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the purpose of John writing this letter to instruct people to belief in the gospel, to not depart from it. There's all kinds of teaching that's going on at this time, and we'll look into verses 5 through 10, and you'll see this, all kind of teaching where people are saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a sinner, 
or, or I, don't, I don't need to do anything in relationship with God. I'm, I'm fine as I am. There's all kind of agnostic and wild teaching that's happening in churches and around churches at this time. And John's writing to tell them what happens when you believe the gospel. What happens when you truly believe in this? When God redeems you, when you trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit and your repentance indwells you, comes into you, you're made into something new, not just personally, but corporately. You're made into something new corporately. You have this thing, this fellowship. This life that you have comes from the gospel. Belief in the gospel yields to you and I this new life where we exist together in this family of God. Where spiritually, we truly are with one another. We're brothers and sisters. We're intimately connected. We've got the same bloodline. It's a spiritual one. We are connected together. And it builds this thing that we call community. It builds community. We're connected to one another. We're meant to live in community with one another. John says that that we might have fellowship with, with other believers, and that fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's by the Spirit. That's how this happens. That's how this works. We have community. We're not meant to live on islands and be separate from one another. Instead, we're meant to be intimately connected. And he uses this phrase that's incredibly unique. He says, and we're writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. What does he mean by that? That our joy may be made complete. The desire is to see others experience the life that comes from believing in the gospel, from being made new, from being reconciled to God, from being moved from this place of, as, as Paul would write in, in Colossians, to be transferred from this, this dominion of darkness into this kingdom of light. Where, as he would write in 2 Corinthians, that, that if anyone believes in Christ, we're made new. We're made new. There's newness that happens personally, but it also happens corporately. We're meant to live together in community, and that should bring us joy. And it brings John joy, and he describes it in this way that it might be complete. Bonhoeffer says it in this way, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I love to be around people and with people that know and believe the gospel. Why? Why? Because they bring deep encouragement to me. They bring blessing and comfort and solace to me in moments of life's pain. They are those who rejoice with me when I rejoice and they weep with me when I weep. This is the life that the gospel creates. And this life of community is what it looks like to live in the gospel. To live in the reality of the gospel. Look at verses 5 through 10. John writes, he says, This is a message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Um, those of us that have experienced and read the Old Testament from, from Genesis, from creation, God has been characterized by light. There's a deep poignance to this idea. It's purity. 
It's the essence of beauty. It's the, it's the essence of revelation. That all is revealed through him and through his light. So when you look back into Psalm 27 and Psalm 36, and obviously your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. In Psalm 119, you look into Isaiah and particularly chapter 49. All these pictures emerge in the Old Testament of God as light. This is also an echo that, that John uses here as he looks back into John. Uh, you look back into John chapter 1, and I believe it's beginning of verse 9. Uh, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. And this is verses 4 and 5 of, of John's uh, gospel, chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, when John describes that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he's doing this incredible thing where he's saying that this is what it looks like to live in, to live life with God. It means we walk in the light and that there is no darkness. I want you to think about your home um, and just... A time where, where you would have somebody walk into your home or go into a place where the room is dark and you haven't turned the light on. When you walk in the room and the room is totally dark, what can you see? Nothing. I think this is an easy analogy. We've got we to work on this together. Um, there's nothing. You can't see anything. When it's dark, you see nothing. What happens when you turn the light on? You see everything. Light dispels darkness. And it illuminates that which is there. And John is writing to and he is, he is dealing with a people who are very scared and trepidatious. They don't want to enter into the light because of their sin. Because here's what light does. It exposes what's in that darkness. This is one of those things where we would say, look, Jesus is not safe, but he's good. Because the gospel will expose our life. That's what's happening as John writes here. He says, this is the message we proclaim to you or that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. And he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, there's these things that, that happen. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What he's saying is these, these three things actually work completely together in relationship. That walking in the light has to do with being in fellowship with one another. And it's based on the gospel. It's given life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And belief in his blood that cleanses us of our sins. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, John is writing to a people that would say, we, we don't have any sin. Does that sound like the world we live in today? I think it does. I think we exist with people around us that would say, well, I, that's, you do your thing. But I don't, really, I don't really have, I mean, I, I, they wouldn't even equate it or use these types of terms. They wouldn't say, well, I, I have sin. They would actually say, well, I, I, I don't. I, I don't think that I have sin. Or I, I don't really consider myself to be someone who's a sinner. I'm a good person. Here's what John says. If we, say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is the deep reality of the gospel, that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. That we're sinners who need to be saved. 
I'm a positive guy, I think, most of the time, right? But look, I'm not trying to be a downer or, or want to be negative here, but the reality is we've got to come to grips with, with the reality that we're sinners. That we have fallen short of the glory of God. That literally we sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. We sing that together because we are people who are sinners. And we recognize that. Here's the hope. Look in verse 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what the life of salvation, this is what the life of the believer looks like. That we don't pretend that we don't have sin. That we don't tell ourselves that we're okay. Instead, we walk into this place of confession with confidence, with full embrace of the brokenness and the ways that we have not loved God, the sins that we have done and the things that are sins that we've left undone, and we confess them. And we trust them because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The promise of old that we walked through through the Old Testament in recent weeks. To see this reality that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's two really incredible things happening here. He's faithful and he's just. So there's a picture here not only of God's mercy... And his deep love for us, that steadfast love, that pursuing love, that love that truly runs after us, that love is bound up, is pictured in mercy. That God would be merciful to us in the midst of our sins. And yet, he's also just in forgiving us. Well, if we're sinners and we don't deserve grace... We don't deserve this gospel, this good news, this life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to come to us. We don't deserve this. How is it just? Well, it's just because this has been God's promise from the beginning. That he would steadfastly love, that he would faithfully love, that he would covenant with people that if they would turn from their sin and walk in his way, he would redeem them. That he would offer forgiveness to them, that he would love them. So in this verse, in this picture, we're given this this understanding of who God is, that he is both merciful and just. And then look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John's writing to a group of people, a group of believers, and to have this letter, these truths, this gospel proclaimed in communities in and around everywhere that he is. One of the most prevailing things that's happening is there's a people that are saying, we have not sinned. That we haven't sinned. As believers, we're called to admit, this is the crux of the gospel, we, we need a Savior. We're sinners. We have loved ourselves better than we've loved anything else in the world. In your flesh, that's the predisposition you wake up with. Like, I don't like jump out of bed thinking, man, I really want to help everybody else but me today. (laughs) I don't think you do either. 
In our flesh, we long to love ourselves. We're sinners. But here's the reality. The sinners that we are, having been redeemed through Jesus Christ, there's a new way to live. There's a new way to live. Everything hinges on, look at verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're called to walk in light. What does that mean? Ultimately, it means to avail ourselves to the light coming on, to allow the Lord to turn the light on, for that God who is light to expose the darkness within us in order that we might be transformed. And there's this ethical implication, this thing that says this is what the Christian life actually looks like. We're called to walk in the light. We're called to be people who live as a reflection of this gospel light in Jesus Christ. We believe the gospel. That's the charge that that 1 John 1 and 2 give us. That we believe the gospel. In verses 3 and 4, we're, we're drawn into this community. We live in the gospel now. That's reality for us. There is fellowship not only with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, but also fellowship with one another. We're connected deeply in community with each other. And then finally... That is, we confess our sins and they're faithfully and justly forgiven by the God who is merciful and gracious to us. We're given a new way to live. A new way to live where instead of hiding and pretending that that we're not sinners, pretending and telling ourselves ad nauseum that we're okay, we're okay, or comparing ourselves to others and saying, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm actually actually better than that, so I must be okay. Instead, we're given a new way to live. Where the light comes on, the darkness is exposed, and then we continually confess that to the Father. We're forgiven, and now we walk as people in the light. And that walk, that obedient life in the faith, has implications not just for us, but for the entire world around us. Belief in the gospel, life in the gospel, and that walking in the light is living out the gospel. Um, I want to walk us today through, through I kind of said, look, the gospel is love is going to be a mantra for us. I truly believe in this season as we walk through 1 John, we're going to come to a deep understanding and recognition that the gospel itself, this life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this which happened, which Paul proclaims as the gospel, that, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, he's buried according to the scriptures, he's raised according to the scriptures, and he appeared to others that he was heard and seen in a multitude and seen and looked upon up close and was touched that this gospel is love. And I believe if, if we hold to that truth, it will transform our lives, not just personally, not just within our marriage, not just within our relationships with our children, not just in relationships with our coworkers, but just in this body as a whole and then outward into the community 
Um, this is going to be what we press in, what we look in, what we focus on in this season as Double Oak Community Church, specifically here on the Chelsea campus. Uh, I want to draw out some of the implications of this text through some language that we already know. Um, our core values at Double Oak, we, we've talked about these a lot for a long time. Uh, they are maturity, community, and charity. We've beat this drum forever. Um, so Double Oak Community Church started uh, on our Mount Laurel campus in 2006. Some of you folks have never been there, and that is totally okay. But you need to know uh, that we exist as one church on two campuses, and this for ages has been our, this has been our core values, maturity, community, and charity, that we would grow in maturity to be transformed in the likeness of Christ, that we would grow and mature in our relationship, community, that we would be connected with one another in faith, that we would have transparent community where we meet particularly in community groups that take place at both our 9 and 1045 hours. So the idea would be, hey, if you're a 9 o'clock person, you come worship at 9 and you find a community group of people that you can connect with, that you can know, that you can truly share your life with and have the gospel preach to you and experience and live in community. Community. And then the third thing, charity. And charity, we mean that in the old school sense of the word, uh, in a very kind of antiquity type sense of the word. What we mean is not just writing a check to someone or benevolence or, you know, kind of putting money in the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas time. Instead, charity is a life in which we serve others. A life in which we serve others. So that could be characterized by our financial giving and the ways that we want to give to the Lord by giving to this church. It could be characterized by our serving, the way we would serve inside the church. Um, look, you got, you got great guys that are brewing that coffee. All right, That coffee doesn't just kind of appear out of nowhere. It's delicious, and Jacob Vell made it for you. Um, uh, Vance also, Vance made it for you as well this morning. Super delicious. But look, those things, those, there's a way to serve inside the church. You can greet, you can usher, you can minister to kids or students. You can serve in a technical capacity. You can do all of these different types of things. But that's charity. That's serving inside. And look, ultimately a huge core of who we are is taking that charity outside these four walls. To minister to people in our community in this area in Chelsea and Westover and Wilsonville, surrounding areas throughout Shelby County and even into Birmingham, ministering to people outside of these four walls. So maturity, community, charity, these are core values that reflect who we are. Today, we're going to spend some time in just these moments looking through this text of 1 John 1 and the implications of it and kind of fleshing this out into some language for us to use here on our campus. So maturity community, and charity, all being a part of the gospel, through the lens of the gospel, we would say it in this way, that maturity is gospel proclamation. This is what it means to be mature in the faith, that we would proclaim the gospel. What do you mean by that, Michael? What does that mean? This is what John is doing to protect people and to grow them up in the faith. This is what he says to them. That which we have heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life and proclaim to you eternal life, Jesus himself. Maturity is proclaiming the gospel. It is sharing the gospel. And I don't just mean in an evangelistic way. I mean in a wholly transformative way. That proclaiming the gospel is the mark of Christian maturity. Because when we are in our deepest moment of pain and need and sorrow, 
Maturity says that we'll, sh- we'll preach the gospel to ourselves. When we're in sin and brokenness, we will preach this gospel to ourselves. And we'll know in that moment if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Maturity looks like gospel proclamation. If we looked into, uh, and Rachel, I think that this scripture is on there. Can you throw up Ephesians, the Ephesians 4 passage? This is Ephesians 4. Paul's writing, and he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So he's saying, look, these people that I've given this specific role, that Jesus has been given this specific role to in the church, their goal, this is what life in the faith is about. It's about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. My job is not to minister the gospel to you. My job is to preach the gospel to you in order that you might minister it to yourself and others as well. That's what what ministry is. And then look at this phrase. For building up the body of Christ, so this is the maturity component, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, By craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is in the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what Paul is doing in this moment. He's saying this is what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like this. The unity of the faith being bound together in the knowledge of God. Maturity is the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of this gospel. That's what maturity is. So maturity for us is going to be characterized by gospel proclamation. Community. Community is going to be characterized by gospel participation. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we've read, that we've heard, that in so many ways we have seen take place amongst one another with our own eyes, that gospel has created community. You are not just a Christian. You're drawn into life with others. The implication of the gospel when we believe it and we proclaim it is also that we exist in it, that we live in it, that we participate in the gospel. That we're connected to one another. I don't think there's any way to state it better than uh, a passage in 2 Peter. I believe it's 2 Peter chapter 2 and these verses 1 through 10. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is talk, this is relationship talk about being in relationship with others. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, it, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it, as it, or for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who what? Believe. 
So it's belief in the gospel. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And Look at these verses uh, in 9 and 10 particularly. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what's happening in this moment as Peter writes. He's saying, when you experience and taste when you believe in the gospel now you're drawn into a family you're drawn into fellowship you have community with one another you participate in something you're not just looking on from the outside no we exist together in community the gospel means that we participate in that gospel together that's the implication here's the third thing charity gospel demonstration The scriptures say that they will know we are Christians by our love. Charity is the picture of the gospel that we would demonstrate, that we would reveal, that we would show the gospel in all that we do. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk... In love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what's happening in this moment. Paul is saying, he's saying, there's a way that we live now. There's an ethical component. There's something that we do as a result of the gospel. We walk in love. We walk in, as, as John would describe it, light. We walk in this light together. We live in such a way where not only do we believe in the gospel and proclaim it, not only do we participate in the gospel in community, but we also demonstrate, we also show the love of God to others in our conduct, in our speech, in the way we act, in the way that we serve, and the way that we minister to other people. So maturity in light of the gospel is gospel proclamation, that we would proclaim the truth of the gospel to ourselves and others. Community is gospel participation, that we share in the gospel, that we live in fellowship together. Charity is gospel demonstration. Here's how we're going to clarify that today through this text. This is the call, this is the charge, this is in a transformation way, in a renewal way. What you and I are called to be in this season is people who do these three very simple, they look very simple. We'll use that phrase again. Um, It's not easy, but it's not complicated, right? These three things. We're going to believe in the gospel together. That's going to deeply characterize who we are as a campus of our church. That we're going to live in the gospel. That we're going to exist in community together. And that we are going to live out that very gospel. The gospel changes absolutely everything. And this is what it changes for us. We now have the opportunity to believe in the gospel, to live in the gospel, and to live out the gospel. And you might say, hey, especially those folks of you that, are, that, have, been, uh, that have been 
with us from Mount Laurel days and prior to this campus being here. The, the short history is that, that Mount Laurel began in, in 2006, and a number of us and folks that are a part of staff here have been a part of Double Oak Community Church uh, for a long time. And then in 2018, God did this incredible thing and allowed our elders and pastors, and there's this vision for a campus of our church here in this community. We met in the elementary school from uh, July of 2018 all the way until November of last year, in which we, we began worshiping in this building upon its completion. Uh, but from day one, we've been one church on two campuses. And so it might sound weird to say, Michael, for you to say, hey, believe in the gospel and live in the gospel and live out the gospel that sounds different than maturity, community, charity. Listen and hear this clearly. clearly. Maturity, community, charity, those aren't going away. But this is, our, this is our language as a campus. This is our teeth. This is what we're going to sink into, all right, is that, that we're going to believe everything in light of the gospel. But we're still one church on two campuses. Um, but the ability to say those things in a different way and to contextualize things and do things that are here in this room and in this place might seem different than if you've worshipped at Mount Laurel recently. We're, we're one church on two campuses, but one of the things I think we've really grown to see and I think that we've matured in is the recognition that there are things that are more contextually appropriate that help us worship in deeper ways here that, 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 we, didn't, that we do that's very different from our campus in Mount Laurel. Why can we do that? Because here's the goal. Our goal is to maximize ministry in multiple locations. We want to do everything that we can to minister the gospel effectively wherever we are. You would see Paul and John and Peter describe this very same gospel with different language. They would describe it in, in different ways. And yet at the same time, time, they're all preaching this gospel that is love. So our goal here through this language in this series and a number of the things that we're going to do as a campus, our goal is to maximize ministry in multiple locations. That means we might do some different things here than our Mount Laurel campus does, and that's okay. Uh, I'll give you a couple of like very particular examples. In addition to the way we would talk about maturity, community, charity at Mount Laurel, or belief in the gospel, life in the gospel, and living out the gospel here on our campus, um, th there are things that, that have been very synonymous and simpatico and work very well together, and then things that, that we've differentiated in. For instance, this past year, we had our Vacation Bible School all together at our Mount Laurel campus. It made a ton of sense. That was the best way to maximize ministry. I fully anticipate that next summer, it is, it is highly likely that we'll have our own Vacation Bible School here on this campus. As, as we're growing in our ability to utilize the facilities and more kids are coming, it's going to make sense for us to do that here. We're still one church on two campuses but we're going to have the opportunity to maximize ministry because we're doing different things in different places. It's going to reach more people. We're really, really excited about this. The goal would be that as two campuses in two different places, we're working together with the same vision and the same desire and the same drive to see people transformed by the gospel. And yet the way that fleshes out might look a little different. Um, some of you have walked into this room today and you're like, I don't know any of this stuff. What in the world are you talking about? That's totally okay. Uh, but look, we want to be really clear and transparent as a church and who we are and just the ways that our church is growing and, and the things that we're doing in our maturation process to grow and experience the gospel uh, together. 
Um, look, I, I am deeply excited about truly what the implications are of study in First John together, of looking into this letter and seeing the reality of the gospel. That, that the Jesus that is preached to us, that I'm preaching to myself every day, that you're preaching to yourself, this gospel that you proclaim to yourself is not something that we thought up. It's not a good idea. It's not a social construct. Jesus Christ himself has come to us. God incarnate. How do we know that? Because he's been heard, he's been seen collectively, he's been seen and looked upon up close, and he's been touched. The gospel is real. We need to believe that gospel. That fellowship that's created from that, we need to live in that together. And the life of walking in the light, we need to live out this gospel. We're going to set a record, I think, in the next few weeks of how many times we say gospel. I mean, like this, this could be a game. You like, keep a little tally mark on your sheet of paper, in your Bible, however you want to do it, right? Uh, but we're going to talk about the gospel preeminently. Why? Because it's everything. And we're going to see that the gospel is love. How do we know that? Father, Son, and Spirit. John, uh, John's gospel, John, John 3, 16, this is what we know. For God so what? Loved the world. What does that action look like? That he gives his son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. That's the Father loving us. We know this from, from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. While we were sinners, God showed his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the action of Jesus, the Spirit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The gospel is love. Together, let's believe in it. Let's live in it, and let's live it out. This morning, I'd love for you to take a moment to just bow your head uh, as our worship team comes and they begin uh, to play. Look, each week, um, we have the opportunity not just to hear God's Word, not just to sing God's Word, but to respond to God's Word. I don't know what that will look like for you this morning. For some folks, that looks like... Uh, sitting in their seat quietly in a contemplative way. For some folks, that looks like singing along with the truth of the song that we're going to sing together. For some folks, that, that, that might be coming down here and having a conversation. It might be coming to this altar that's open in which you can, or where you can pray. Um, but my hope would be that in this moment, you would just ask the Lord to help you believe the gospel either for the first time or again for the millionth. That you would recognize what it means to live in community and that God would draw your heart into fellowship with others because you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And then finally, that we would be people that walk in the light. That we'd be people that are, are happy to confess our sins, knowing that God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Take these moments to ask the Lord to help you do those things, to believe in, to live in, and to live out the gospel. Um, and then let's take a moment to respond. And whether you sing every word of this song or it's just sung over you, would you recognize that what we're doing in this moment is believe in the gospel? We're, we're professing our faith. We're saying this is what we believe. 
Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection and ascension. The life that we have is in him. So Heavenly Father, God, as we're drawn into this moment, God, we long to confess our faith. We long to confess um, that we know that, that you've lived, that you've died for us, and that you were raised on the third day. Jesus, we know that. And so, Jesus, would you help us believe your gospel, that truth? And God, would you transform our hearts in this moment by your spirit to rejoice in this proclamation together? In Christ's name, amen.